My mom had seven freaking kids. Uh, she had a litter, didn't she? She got married like very young. She liked the idea of lots of children because being an only child, she was so lonely. And so she wanted like a large family. And this is pre-internet. So like to my mom, it was just a nice church that had like family values. Like people were nice. And they had this like other book, but nobody could read it because it was so boring. I think a lot of times it's like a social thing when people got baptized back then. You know, it wasn't necessarily that they read the freaking book all the way. Because remember, all you have to do is pray about it and have have a burning in your bosom then you'll know that the church is true and you're ready to go, man. Just get dunked into the baptismal font and then have lots of babies, which my mom and dad did. They had so many kids at one time. My parents, they loaded us all up into a green station wagon. We were passing like some fair that was going on in some town on the way out of Arizona. And my dad said, now I was very young, so this is my recollection. If everybody's here, we're going to go to that fair. And so we started counting off and Josh was missing. <laughs> We had driven like three hours out of Arizona. And you'd forgotten a kid. He was behind my grandpa's bar. These were the non-Mormon side of the family. He had like a built-in like full-on bar for all of his Navy buddies that they would go to his garage and drink. But it was like built out separate from the rest of the house so they could really get it on. My brother was behind the bar counting bottle caps. And this was like pre-cell phone. So like my parents realized he was gone. They had to turn around and drive three hours back and face grandma and grandpa like they had just left a child. Now these were the non-Mormon grandparents. It was Grandpa and Anna Mae because Parthenia actually died in an explosion. What? Is this a World War II thing, Gigi? No, no, no. <laughs> this is a litigation issue. There was a gas leak in her camping trailer when they went fishing one time from a faulty thing and she got up in the morning and she went to go light her cigarette on the burner stove oh. and it lit up all the gas. Oh now my George, God. my grandpa, he survived because he was like in a separate room but Parthenia, she passed away. So anyways, oh. so Grandpa George, she got married to another the widower and we would go and visit this very quiet normal two people and they were not Mormon and they would kind of like not judge but like I think grandpa knew like my mom was like breeding way too much. They would totally judge Gigi. That was not what he wanted for his daughter I don't think. That's too many kids. So when my parents <laughs> came back to get my brother Josh who they left behind for three full hours before they realized I'm sure George was like too many kids man like way too many kids like what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> on the other hand, on my other side of the family, when we go visit Grandma Geraldine, it was a freaking zoo. There was like a million people everywhere running around because they breed so much. Was that the fun trip when you'd go and visit them? Yeah, it was crazy. Like all the uncles would take us out into the desert to go shoot guns. Oh, uh. <laughs> Fun. I was not my thing too much. It was fun to be around all the kids. But and as you get older, at eight years old, you get baptized. And it's like not a big deal because everybody gets baptized at eight and you don't know what that means. What I knew was that, and this is what my sisters would whisper into my ear, like you have 15 more minutes to do anything you want in the world before all of your sins get forgiven. <laughs> What'd you do? I didn't do anything because there's so much guilt associated with everything. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> and then even when you're baptized, you still felt guilty. And you're like, man, I thought that I would like stop feeling bad about those things I did. But I still feel bad. Like even though they dunked me in the water, like I didn't really 
take. It was a weird experience. You know, they have the whole thing about how they, you have to be completely immersed. Yeah. So even if a toe pops out, they'll redo you. Oh, really? Yeah, even if anything <laughs> pops out, even hair, I think. Like you have to fully get immersed because apparently God will know if that toe didn't get dunked. Like you can't go to the highest heaven. You're stuck in the terrestrial heaven forever. <laughs> it's very bizarre, like all these rules. I bet that John the Baptist, when he was dunking people, that some of their toes popped above the water. Some religions, they just like splash you because they know it's symbolic. Give you a little, here you go. And it's like, okay, that's enough. <laughs> when I decided to stop being Mormon, like I started researching like all these alternative fun religions, like bizarre shit, like... um Fun religion. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, tell me more, Gigi. I am a high priestess of the Church of the Subgenius. Is that like the subreddit? No, this is way <laughs> before that. Oh, this is funny. This is going... <laughs> Way back to the, maybe the 80s. The head of the church is like a 1950s iconic male figure who smokes a pipe named Bob Dobbs and who promotes all of humanity seeking more slack. It's a very, very superficial religion. It's very strange and I never really got too much into it, but I did pay $10 to become a high priestess. Of course. Which came with a certificate that allows me to do any kind of possible ritual. Neither this religion or some other, they have ritualistic unbaptisms where they involve a blow dryer. <laughs> so you can't get unbaptized. Talking to my sister because I was like, man, let me make sure I understand the Book of Mormon because it's been a long time since I've read it. And I was trying to explain to my husband last night too because he thinks it's hilarious he's like how do people believe this shit that's right he's never mormon isn't he never not religious his parents put him in a christian school when he was like in kindergarten that was probably just because it was a good school though, didn't, right? it, no it was a bad school it was a bad school it put him off of religion <laughs> forever thanks mom and dad yeah he was not there long it was one of those like wackadoodle right wing fringe oh I've been to them. <laughs> Having not read it for a long time, I asked my sister, I said, okay, let me see if I get this. You've got this tribe of Israelites that come to America in a funky boat. Whee! <laughs> they land in America, thunk, somewhere. And they build a pyramid. <laughs> Their seed is spread throughout. Ah, uh, there's just come everywhere. <laughs> yeah, sprouting Lamanites, Nephites everywhere, riding around on horses that did not exist. So they're riding around on their tapers. And then, and they're just killing each other with imaginary swords that there's no archaeological records of. And then the Nephites lose and the Lamanites win. And some are good and some are bad, different times, who knows. And then somebody buries some plates and whoever digs them up gets the Melchizedek priesthood and can become the prophet of the next church. And she's like, but nobody wants to read it. She's <laughs> like, and at some point Jesus comes to visit and that's really important. And I'm like, I got that. Okay. There's another war because they're always having wars. He's so verbose for so little content. People always say, oh, how could a 14 year old write this stuff? And I said, oh, I could see how a fucking 14 year old could write this shit because it's horrible. <laughs> and I studied literature and writing. You know, I know how Shakespeare sounds. I know how the King James Bible sounds. See, I collect different versions from different religions because, you know, the Mormons have a version. The Gideons have a version. The Jehovah's Witnesses have a version. And it's always curious to see what they've changed because sometimes the things that they've changed are the things that convey who has power. If you are familiar with the King James Bible and you're trying to write a companion piece to go with it, yeah, you're going to mimic that language as much as you can. And that language from Joseph Smith's perspective was over 300 years old. Like it's hard to read. 
Have you ever been to a Mormon service? I have. Was it Australian? It was, yeah. Oh, what was that like? It was so long ago, I don't quite remember the service. I'm actually wondering if I've ever been to a sacrament service. I may not have, but I have definitely been to activities. When they get up on the stand, they all have a very big reverence about them. That Mormon reverence. And it's a very, very particular thing that you don't see in other cults. Do you reckon you can do it, Gigi? Do you reckon you can give us a go of the reverence? Let's try. I'll read maybe two verses before I get so tired of this shit, I can barely look at it anymore. <laughs> All right, you go for it. So this is 2 Nephi chapter 30. Now, do we read the italics? I don't have the heading. Please tell me the heading. Because they talk about the people that are very religious and righteous. They're not talking about their seed. No, no, but do you know what's really <laughs> interesting? Where they do talk about their seed. Too much. This is such a preoccupation with Mormons and religious people in I general. Know. You must know Monty Python and the Flying Circus and how every sperm is special. Every sperm is sacred, Gigi. Every sperm is sacred. Every Oh, God, right? Every sperm is good. <laughs> Apparently, the religious right in America has realized that this is absolutely true. And not only are they getting rid of Roe versus Wade, but they're going to start attacking the ability to have contraceptives too. Because, hey, they need the next generation of wage earners. They need people down at the bottom. This is how they do it. They force birth. Okay, I can't talk about it more because it makes me too depressed to talk about it because I'm living the dystopia. But I'm in California, so like I am like watching it happen in the rest of America. Well, I've done my bit, Gigi. I'm sterile. And I have done my bit. I am 45 and I have not had children, so I am definitely sterile by now. Well done, Gigi. We're going to get on like a womb on fire. Oh, I know. I love it. (laughs) This is Joseph Smith's version of how seed should be spread in the Americas. But mind you, genetics have obviously disproved everything we're about to read. Two Nephi 30. Converted Gentiles will be numbered with the covenant people. Many Lamanites and Jews will believe the word and become delightsome. They did not say white and delightsome in this version. And again, this is just the heading. That is a very long heading. Israel will be restored and the wicked destroyed. More people will die. I think that some Mormons only read the heading, hey, when they're reading the Book of Mormon. How many freaking Catholics are running around out there that have never read the Bible? A lot of Mormons are the same. They were born in the valley. They were born into it. They don't want to read this crap anymore than you and I do. But we're doing a public service. I mean, because people need to hear this craziness. Okay, so now I'm getting into the actual text. And now behold, my brethren, I would speak unto you, for I, Nephi, would not suffer that ye should suppose that ye are more righteous than the Gentiles shall be. Except ye shall keep the commandments of God, ye shall all likewise perish. And because of the words which have been spoken, ye need not suppose that the Gentiles are utterly destroyed. My eyes hate looking at this text just as much as my ears hate hearing it. It'll just make you instantly fall asleep. I guess he's telling to tell these people like, hey guys, I Nephi, I don't want you guys to think that you're more righteous than the Gentiles unless you keep the commandments of God. Otherwise you'll die. Okay, okay. Oh, he actually put two sentences in one verse. He hardly ever does that. That's amazing. This is ridiculous. Okay, let me try to do their voice. Okay. Yeah, do the voice. Do the voice, JJ. For behold, I say unto you that as many of the Gentiles as will repent are the covenant people of the Lord. The slow cadence allows you to get the words out so that you can continue on with the bullshit that doesn't mean anything. And as many of the Jews as will not repent shall be cast off. For the Lord covenanted with none, save it be with
with them and believe in his son. Now, women get a different voice than the men, so let me continue with the soft, ladylike voice that they like for you to have. And now, I would prophesy somewhat more concerning the Jews and the Gentiles. For after the book of which I have spoken shall come forth and be written unto the Gentiles and sealed up again unto the Lord, there shall be many which shall believe the words which are written, and they shall carry them forth unto the remnant of our seed. He likes to talk about the Jews and the Gentiles, apparently. I guess he's got a problem with them. My professor would always say something like, well, who's the audience? Like, if Joseph Smith is the author, and it was not an angel that came down, you would wonder what he's trying to tell people that he's really writing it for. I think what he just wanted was some sacred text. I don't even think he was really trying to send a message too much. It's like he just needed something to go with. Something to point you to say, hey, ladies, it's so okay to be one of my wives. He was just trying to get laid, Gigi, over and over and over and over again. It sounds like he's also expecting that there's going to be seed that people in the future are going to rediscover. They're going to share this news and it's going to be good for them in some way or something like that because they're going to have these words which are written. Oh, God, it's the most convoluted way of saying anything. But I think when you do that, then you can make it mean anything later. Oh, you know what? If you're getting paid by the word, are you kidding me? Why do you think The Count of Monte Cristo is such a long book? <laughs> Alexandre Dumas was getting paid by the word, published like bi-weekly in the newspaper. Of course it was going on forever. Like, I'm sure there are parts that devout Mormons will point to and say, oh, look how beautiful the wording is on this. I have yet to come across anything. I can look at the Bible and I can point to things that I say, this is poetry. I can see why this piece of art lasted. The good Good stuff lasts, usually. But sometimes the Mormon church will show you sometimes the shit does too. <laughs> Time is long and Joseph Smith is just a blip. 300 years from now, I don't know if this church will exist, but they have a lot of money, so they might. We can only hope not. And then shall the remnant of our seed know concerning us how that we came out from Jerusalem and that they are descendants of the Jews. And the gospel of Jesus Christ shall be declared among them, wherefore they shall be restored unto the knowledge of their fathers and also to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, which was had among their fathers. When it says remnant there, is he referring to... I think he's talking about the Mayans, like the people of America, the people that remain of our seed. Because remember, from Joseph Smith's perspective, all these people have forgotten their history. Oh, right, right, right. Joseph Smith is living in a world where we have Native American tribes all over the place. In fact, the Mormons are eradicating them as they move. I know. They decimate and murder and massacre certain groups of indigenous people to take their land. They were inconvenient. I guess from their perspective, these savages have forgotten their history. How absolutely horrifying is that, that this is the perspective that these Mormons took? So these remnants are, for Joseph Smith, the present-day Native Americans at his time. Either that or whatever descendants this Nephi guy is talking about. It really could mean so many people, couldn't it? It's confusing <laughs> because it is Joseph Smith talking as if he were I, Nephi. <laughs> And then shall they rejoice, for they shall know that it is a blessing unto them from the hand of God and their scales of darkness. Oh, he uses that phrase a lot. 
shall begin to fall from their eyes. You know, it's an easy word salad to take up room. It reminds me of legalese where we put in like these garbledy goop heretofore, wheretofore and aforementioned. It hurts my ears, Gigi. And many generations shall not pass away among them, save they shall be a pure and delightsome people. So many generations shall not pass away among them from when till when. I guess what it's saying is that it won't take as long if you're good people. Verse 7. And it shall come to pass, oh he loves that, that the Jews which are scattered shall begin to believe in Christ. Yes, I think that's kind of what he's been getting at the whole fucking time. I mean, this is pre-World War II. Joseph Smith is an American. He's a white kid from New York. He's read some exciting things about Egyptology at this point. He's probably never met anyone of the Jewish faith in his life. And everything he's learned is probably from the Bible or whatever propaganda he would listen to or whatever teachings he would have. So now he's thinking that somehow he's predicting Nephi, some guy living in South America, pre-Columbian times, that they're going to all become converted. There was a whole heap of Egypt hysteria at this time too because they'd found the Rosetta Stone, but they hadn't translated it yet. It was some stone that had some proclamation on it. That's not important. The important thing was it was in three different languages. They didn't know what the hieroglyphs meant at the time. Then when they found the Rosetta Stone, because there were three languages, including the hieroglyphs, written alongside each other, they were eventually able to use that to decode Egyptian hieroglyphs. That's right. So this was all happening at around the same time that Joseph Smith got this into his head. That's right. They were very excited. That's why it's the new reformed Egyptian, which doesn't mean anything. I know. It's so dumb. So you are now on, on number eight. I haven't gotten to eight yet. You're skipping ahead just like Brother Paul yesterday. Oh, my God. All right. I'll keep reading uh, verse seven. And it shall come to pass that the Jews, which are scattered, also shall begin to believe in Christ, semicolon, and they shall begin to gather in a pond of the land, <laughs> semicolon, and as many as shall believe in Christ shall also become a delightsome people. <laughs> I have that translation too. Now, my understanding is that in the older translation, you'll see delightsome, but it used to be white and delightsome. Here's something interesting. I asked my sister not to get too divert away from the text. Oh, uh, you can always divert. Because she went through the temple and I didn't because I got out before she did. Oh, that reminds me of someone's going to ask you when you get baptized at eight do they do that in the temple as well no that's interesting baptism when you are eight occurs at a local ward building w-a-r-d like the local church building that's where you have your normal sunday service and you have your wednesday youth activity called mutual <laughs> i know they, that's what it was called when i was there and then that's where they usually do like seminary which is the morning classes and then they usually have like a gym and if you open some doors at the end of the gym there'll be a very large baptismal font that is like a bathtub that goes up to your chest <laughs> and it has stairs that go down it yeah has anyone ever drowned in them not that i know of but i've heard of people having sex in them oh that is awesome filling them up and having sex Members get a hold of the keys because uh, members run, you know. It's a member-run place. People get a hold of the keys and do crazy things in the building. And they let their members do the walking. All kinds of crazy stuff happens. <laughs> things happen in that building, trust me. Uh, things have happened. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
But I've never heard of anybody drowning, although my niece, she did not like getting dunked. She cried afterwards because there was like water that got up her nose. It was horrible. It was traumatic for her. When you become 12, then you can start doing baptisms for the dead. And that's when you go to the temple to get baptized in a giant baptismal font that is always held up by 12 oxen statues. You can see pictures of this on the internet. There's always like a computer screen where they read off the names of the dead person because they get their names from like archives. Really? They would do things like somebody in the church would have gone to England and gone to a church somewhere and photocopied all of the church records and submitted those to whomever. And then they would find all the people that were born in that parish and they would write their names down and their date of birth. And then they would write down people that got married and people that were born and people that died. And then all that information would go up to Salt lake that's how they got names of people that were dead to baptize now some people like Anne frank got baptized like five times because everybody wants to <laughs> baptize her she's probably soaking wet in heaven right now because she's been baptized so many times they just really want to convert the jews don't they oh they have got it out for them the whole world has it out for them it's so sad oh i know i mean it's bad enough that people have got it out from now they want to convert them too i know the other times you go into the temple after you're 12 you go in if you're going to go into a mission then you have a different thing that's called the endowments. And then when you get married, you get sealed like to your husband for time and all eternity. Then as a couple, you can spend your Friday nights to go and marry people for the dead. Marry people for the dead? How does that work? Well, remember how they go through the people's names in the records to find people that were born and married hundreds of years ago? They find the people that married and they also do their marriage in the temple. Oh. Because in order to get to the highest level of heaven, you have to be baptized in the temple and also have your other endowments. That's so complicated. How could they possibly find all of the remnants throughout history and backdate all of that? They don't have enough information to know. No, but it's a great way of giving people in a cult something to do. Something to do, right. And again, people will tell you, you walk into the temple and it feels holy. It didn't feel holy to me. No, because you weren't there for that reason. I walked through it before it was consecrated, you see. That's your thing. We have a temple here in the same suburb of Brisbane that I live. They've got so much money they can build them everywhere. And now it's a tourist thing. Mormons from America, they go on vacation just to go see the temples. Uh, Do you think there's any Italians that are actually worshipping there? No, it's all Americans going to Italy to go to that temple. Just to shove it in the Roman Catholic Church's face. Religious <laughs> tourism. It's religious tourism. If you expect to have a religious experience and you go to a place with beautiful architecture that's quiet and everybody around you is engaging in the same rituals with the same clothes in the same mindset there were times at church where I felt something but I felt something when I went to the opera and I felt something when I've gone to the symphony and I felt something when I've gone to a protest I felt something when I've been in a courtroom there are many experiences that run the gamut of human conditions that are magical and beautiful and amazing and Mormons feel those too but it's based on a crazy crazy dogma and it's something that they've created like they've had to build this building and create these rituals and put on these fancy outfits with funny hats and they've turned it into a 
fetish. Yeah, I guess so. And you could say almost the same thing with some very orthodox religions. And they would say these are sacred things that remind us to pray away our ancestors did, to remind us where we come from. I don't want to mock all these different traditions, but this tradition really was based on a 14-year-old child's fantasy Mm. in order to manipulate people and get a lot of money. (laughs) And a lot of wives. So horny. Horny, horny, horny. (laughs) He was like the freaking preacher of his time. He had women all... He was very charismatic. But Uh, that's what you need in a cult. You you need a charismatic leader. I mean, who else could, could get away with writing this bullshit? Here, where are we again? And it shall come to pass that the Lord God shall commence his work among all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people to bring about the restoration of his people upon the earth. So he's just been saying the same shit on repeat. Take it away, Gigi. And with righteousness shall the Lord God judge the poor and reprove with equity, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. He's just said that he has a rod in his mouth, Gigi. That sounds very phallic and I hope that they're both enjoying it. And that the breath of his lips is so, what, fiery that it will slay the wicked? Oh, slay, honey. He is going to beat you into belief. Maybe God doesn't have arms and legs and that's why he has to put the rod in his mouth. I mean, he's definitely using it for something. (laughs) For the time speedily cometh that the Lord God shall cause a great division among the people and the wicked will he destroy and he will spare his people, yea, even if it so be that he must destroy the wicked by fire and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins <laughs> and faithfulness the girdle of his reins i love this girdle of his loins is another catchphrase he likes to use a lot what is a girdle of his loins wow that's a great question is it like protecting his sensitive parts righteousness will be that girdle be his cup yeah it's his cup he's saying <laughs> this is very on par to the whole magic underwear thing they're thinking about their nether regions too too much, Gigi. Of course. How else are they going to fruitfully multiply? <laughs> oh, this is good. And then shall the wolf dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion, the fatling. I think they're talking about Westerners. <laughs> Welcome to America, man. We are all fatlings here. <laughs> Welcome to Australia. Oh, it is not good here. Uh, there's a lot of fat people here. Okay, together and a little child shall lead them. Yeah, We've actually had that verse before, I think, when he was quoting Isaiah. And the cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together, semicolon. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. (gasps) The lion is going to become a vegetarian. They'll need different teeth and stuff. I mean, is that good for a feline? Cats, at the moment, you really have to feed them some sort of meat product. But dogs, you can get away with it sometimes. There are people who do vegetarian dogs, but I'm not saying you should. I've tried. No, 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 I've tried. But it is funny. No, no. And trust me, I had no ethical qualms about it either when I told them I'm like, Fuck yeah, I'd kill for these dogs. Uh, (laughs) But apparently the lion is going to become a vegetarian in this scenario. So the lion will turn into something completely different, essentially. And the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. Okay, what is a cockatrice? It's a mythical beast that's a cross between like a dragon and a rooster be okay to just play on top of the hole of a snake and the weaned child 
can just go hang out with this mythical animal. Yeah, in the future when everything comes good. He keeps switching between time periods and you don't really know which one he's at. (laughs) He's just wandering off now. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, semicolon, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Wherefore, the things of all nations shall be made known. Yay! (laughs) All things shall be made known unto the children of men. Well, this sounds like the information age that we're living now. All things of all nations shall be known. It does kind of, doesn't it? There is nothing which is secret, save it shall be revealed. There is no work of darkness, save it shall be made manifest in the light. By the internet. I know. (laughs) And there is nothing which is sealed upon the earth, save it shall be loosed. Hacked. (laughs) They're talking about this new world where all information is revealed. That's right. By the internet and hacking. I think we're there, aren't we? (laughs) The more information people learn about the church, it seems like, you know, the more people become skeptical of it. But that's not true for everybody. Some people are so uh, ingrained. So if we're at that point, why isn't the lion laying down with the lamb already? Why aren't they all vegetarian and had their teeth reconfigured and their digestive systems reconfigured and all of that? (laughs) Wherefore, all things which have been revealed unto the children of men shall at that day be revealed, semicolon, and Satan shall have power over the hearts of the children of men no more for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Period. And now, my beloved brethren, I make an end of my sayings. Oh, thank fuck for that. It's a great ending. It doesn't specify more than that, just a long time. He doesn't want to get very specific. But, but he's done. He's gotten tired because now, my beloved brethren, I make an end of my sayings. That's right. He wants to go off and, you know, diddle one of his wives or something. Of course. Wow. That is just dreadful. I know. I wonder if being a Mormon missionary ends up turning young men into salesmen. I don't want to lump all Mormons into the same group because some of them are different than others. From a young age, you were taught to interact with people that were older than you in a way that gave you a good vocabulary and a confidence. You were often in front of large groups of people for either bearing your testimony or giving talks in church. It socializes you. And when you are a person that is socialized to interact with other people, you emulate those people that are convincing and you emulate those people that are well-spoken. Yeah, you could be a very good salesman. In fact, my brother, before he died, was a very good salesman. But now he got out of the church, though. He married in the church. But when he stopped believing, his wife that believed did not like that and they got divorced. But um, but he was a great salesman. He was so well-spoken and everybody in the church liked him. And he was a great Mormon because he was one of those guys that was always out there. And that's not true for all of the Mormon men. Then you also have equally the men that are very awkward socially and very introverted and shy. But definitely for those men who have it in them to be great salesmen. Now, my brother never went on a mission though. My parents weren't pushing it either, but he definitely had the benefit of being in a society that encouraged the kind of outgoing. I mean, he would sing show tunes, you know, like because they were all big into show choir. They were all big into singing, music and things like that. So it gives people confidence to be part of these societies and these religions. A lot of them know second languages because they've been on missions to different countries or they'll have the talent of knowing how to play different instruments and things like that. So it can be a very good experience to be in these religions for some people if you are a white male who identifies as straight, who wants to marry a 
woman who also identifies as straight, who wants to have a lot of babies. Like this is a good environment if that's your gig. But the minute you start straying from that path or you start questioning that, you find that you don't really belong. This is an interesting debate that I've had with people. First, the only reason that Joseph Smith, or actually it was Brigham Young, stopped the practice of polygamy is because they would not have been able to be admitted into the United States because the rest of the government did not. And in order for Utah to become part of the union, they had to follow the rest of the state's rules. So they banned polygamy. They never repudiated the position that polygamy is a holy and consecrated configuration for a family and that families are forever and families can look a lot of ways and the perfect family sometimes look like a man and a woman and a woman and a woman and a woman <laughs> and a woman and a woman being married. The prophet at the time declared that God does not want his people to disobey the laws of the land. It was not because God said polygamy was wrong. So if you're Mormon and you're in a land that allows polygamy, theoretically, polygamy is a-okay because the only reason they don't practice it is because it's not allowed in the law of the land. That tells us that if tomorrow America was to pass a law that said religions can define marriage however they want, and I don't have a problem with this. If you want to practice polygamy, nobody under age, nobody who hasn't consented to it, no extra tax benefits for you. But here's the thing. Most Mormons I talk to would never allow it. My sister would be like, hell no, we can't have another wife. Like, no. But theoretically, it's still perfect, pure doctrine. So every Mormon that believes in the church truly must admit that there is a place for polygamy in their future or in their life because never did anybody say polygamy is a bad idea in the eyes of God and we are not going to practice it anymore. Yeah, so in the celestial kingdom, that's what you've got to look forward to. Lots of sister wives. <laughs> Here's what's really strange and interesting. In America, we all know there are groups of Mormons and there are groups of polygamists that still practice. Yeah, and I'm sure the world over too. Yeah, I'm very aware of how it works here. And it's not just Mormons, it's other religions too. Now, if we ever have a case go up to the Supreme Court that allows polygamous marriage, I don't see any reason why it shouldn't. There probably are cases going up to the Supreme Court now. What are the Mormons going to do if it ever becomes like, hey, you know what, it's up to the states, it's up to you guys to decide. All the LDS are going to lose their shit. It's a thought and it's a very interesting um, intersection of law and religion that I find a little fascinating. There's a lot of Molly Mormons out there that would never let their husband take on another wife. And if it ever does become legal, the prophet himself is going to have to take a position and who knows what that would look like. It'll be just the same awkward conversation that any couple that then wants to open up their marriage, like it's usually the guy, right, will come in and it's like, I just feel like I have so much love in my heart that I can love more than one person at once and I'll never stop loving you, but I just want to love somebody. And what he's really saying is, look, I'm just horny and you're not enough. And that's okay, but just be honest about it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I see, and that's the thing. Yeah, I have never heard a story where a polyamorous relationship works out for everyone perfectly because that shit's hard. Just a relationship with one other person is hard. Imagine trying to juggle a number of people. That is a lot of people to do. I mean, I'd be better off just being alone all the rest of my life and never dealing with the drama. Could you imagine the problems that Joseph Smith had or Brigham Young juggling all their wives? And then he put them in their own house. There are more polygamous families in Utah and Arizona than you might imagine. There definitely are power issues between the women. As a child, I did not know that there were practicing polygamous sex. 
people don't realize is that some of these groups of Mormons date back so far that they actually have towns and communities in Mexico, practically Americans, but their family dates back to like the 1850s after Joseph Smith sent missionaries south to start settling places like Arizona. And so there are Mormon sects in Mexico that are very almost fundamental in a way. It's almost like time capsules. Certain areas in America, we have the Amish. They ride around in their buggies. Time stood still for them. I don't think that there are sects that extreme on the Mormon side. But again, you definitely have offshoots that date back from the pioneers. And some of them took certain beliefs and some of them took others. You know, it's kind of a weird anomaly. And even the Mormons who are mainstream, they consider those people cults. Like they will separate themselves. Like those are the cults. Then you have the Mormon LDS that are like the mainstream. (laughs) It's not them, it's us. We're the right one. The truth is, is that I'm sorry, honey, go look at the underwear that you're wearing and tell me that you're not in a cult. And there's a large portion of this is more of a culture thing. You go to church because this is where you have your baptisms, this is where you have your marriages, this is where you meet your people. You have the shindigs, the potluck dinners, all of that sort of stuff. Everybody kind of thinks the way that you do and you know what they think because you're all told to think the same thing. So there's no discomfort. It's a very easy society to blend into if that's where you want to blend into as long as you follow their rules. Who knows what it change into you know i think part of the reason i've had so much difficulty getting close to mormons in my life you know as friends or whatever is that i want the sort of relationships where they will be critical of the things i say and pull me up on things and make me think and i would hope that they would do the same i want there to be a dialogue i don't want it to just shut down zipper mouth and written off and what i feel like is that even for people that have left it i think there's this ingrained shut down where everything has to make sense still and if you don't hold group ex-Mormon beliefs everyone has then you're not quite in the team till there's still in-team, out-team dynamics happening. I think that's kind of sad. (laughs) They do not do well with criticism. No, no, I've noticed that. Yeah, so when it comes to the church one of the popular refrains is like you know, it's okay if you want to leave the church but why can't you leave the church alone? They don't want to have any type of light put on top of the dogmatic beliefs that they've been taught. It's very comfortable when you fit in to fit in, when you are the type of person that fits in. (laughs) I never fit in because I questioned too much. And I didn't like the idea of being barefoot and pregnant and doing all the things. They let you feel like you don't fit. And so it's easier to leave rather than to just stay in a place that's always making you feel bad because you don't fit. But for the people that do fit, it's a comfortable place to stay. It's self-weeding. I weeded myself out. That's right. It's self-weeding. So what gets left is that type of person. And then you know what happens. Those type of people breed amongst each other. If I boil your soup down long enough, you will get a very nice, sticky, gloppy, gooey glop at the bottom, right? Because you've burned off all the water. When you are burning off all the misfits and all the people that are not just like you and all the people that are questioning and all the free thinkers and all the artists and all the gays and all the lesbians and all the trans and all the people that don't fit, you've homogenized the religion in an echo chamber of belief system. Nobody says, oh my God, the emperor has no clothes and everybody continues along. When Trump was voted in and I started watching people who I previously thought, I'm talking like senators, legislators, people in society and media, other thinkers and people that you thought would be like, he's 
dangerous and absolutely must be called out. Well, I saw people instead of calling out, folding for somebody to say, wait a minute, this guy is running around naked. This emperor has no clothes and nobody, nobody, nobody does. Nobody does. Nobody does. The church is kind of the same thing. You know, when everybody closes their eyes for the prayer, I remember being the person opening them up going, what is it they're talking about that is so important that everybody's going to close their eyes over this? Where does it even say in any text to close your eyes? while you pray. So I was always the person like looking up and looking around going, who else is thinking that this is stupid? <laughs> when you're the kid that's willing to open up your eyes during the prayer and look around and say, all right, who else is seeing that this doesn't make sense? Who else is seeing that the emperor has no clothes? All those people that look up during the prayer, those are the ones that are self-regulating themselves out the door. <laughs> The ones that are left behind are the people that are not questioning anything very seriously. I think my own self-regulation manifested itself in a lot of OCD and anxiety as a teenager. I'd get very anxious about making sure that I was thinking all the right things and doing all the right things. And then if I didn't, it turned into an OCD thing and making sure that I asked for forgiveness and all of that sort of thing. I felt even back then, Satan is trying to get me out of being a Christian. All of this turmoil wants me to get rid of it. What that was, though, was just my humanity, me being a human, trying to make life work, was telling me that these ideas didn't work. It comes back to what you were saying the other day about things that we spend our time on and what is stealing your time. All the hours of time and work and effort that people put into doing all this simple work where they are not spending it with their own family and children. When you got a lot of kids and you have a lot of church obligations, like, and you work, who's raising your children? The church or something. All that time that you spent in the temple, maybe you could be working at a homeless shelter, like serving live people who need food now, instead of serving dead people that don't really need anything and probably really don't need to be baptized because anytime you are giving your time away to something that is a waste, that is like selling your soul to the devil. It is selling your soul You're selling to your soul devil. to Satan. Absolutely. So when you're spending your time going and getting baptized for dead people other than the benefit that you and your co-Mormons get out of the group experience of activity together as a group that has meaning for you, the dead people are not getting anything out of it that I can tell. It's just a rehearsal of your faith. It's a social cohesion activity. It is. And it is very powerful too. It really is. Yeah, it's, it's a weird religion to be part of. And it's very, it must be very odd in Australia because it's not an Australian religion. It's a very... American born. Yeah, it's not real popular here. Yeah, I wouldn't think so at all. It's not real popular here. Not anywhere but Utah. I think it gets spoken about more than it's popular. Thank you, this has been fun. I see you on the web. This has been interesting and fun. Absolutely, thank you. All right, patients, I'll see you soon. Good night.